Welcome, basic witches, to the All Things Cozy 2018 All Hallows Hoopla, (laughs) a podcast about everything cold, sharp, and frightening. Today, we're joined by a special fiend of the podcast. (laughs) Our very own master of ceremonies, writer and host of the queer horror podcast, Dead for Filth, Michael Verratti. Wow, thanks for having me back. <laughs> Welcome to be back, Michael. to have you again. It's tradition now. I know. I, I was on last year's Halloween episode. I'm glad to be back. This is so exciting. We couldn't do it without you. You are our returningest guest. And very popular. Oh, I'm very honored to, uh, to hold that record. Yeah, listeners are posting about how they're re-listening to the old mm-hmm. Halloween episode. So we thought we'd do it bigger and better than ever. More hoopla More hoopla I'm ready for some hoopla. <laughs> and, you know, I think then that we need to lay out some tricks and treats and uh, do it up. Yeah. You ready? I am. So this is your first Halloween special for All Things Cozy. We do things a little differently on Halloween. A little more macabre, a little more twisted. Twisted. <laughs> yeah, we're so twisty. Not really. <laughs> Not any more than usual, actually. The segments do change a little bit. So instead of what's making us feel cozy this week, it's Halloween. So we're doing what's making us feel spooky this week. I guess how we'll start. Jillian, take it away. So what's making me feel spooky is the show called The Haunting on Netflix, or The Haunted. Okay. And it's about true stories, allegedly. About people who experience paranormal activity in their homes. Oh. And some are, you know, a crapshoot, but there's other ones that are actually really interesting. Like at the end, they'll reveal, oh, they're actually people who are murdered in this house. So I don't want to give away too much, but the first one was based on a true life murder of a mother killing her kids. This is a 12 year old kid who experienced it, and he only learned about the death until after he moved out of the house. So it starts off with a bang. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, it's also not completely about ghosts or paranormal activity. It could be about maybe being haunted by this person who's living with you in your house. So this one is about this woman whose father, she suspects a serial killer. So that's pretty interesting. So it runs the gamut of different paranormal or spooky stuff that these people have experienced. Is this a brand new show? Yes, brand new. There are so many great shows coming out for Halloween, and I want to watch them all before the 31st. There's this compulsion, like, I can't... You gotta cram them all in. I gotta cram them all in before Halloween, or else I'll never get to it or something. Well, I'm getting so confused because there's just so many different variations of haunted and haunting and haunted hill house, so I believe it's called The Haunted. Okay. Yes, The Haunted. Well, that kind of goes right into my what's making me feel spooky this week. And that is the haunting of Hill house on Netflix, which is, I guess it's a TV show. It's, it's going to have multiple seasons or is it just a mini series? Oh, do we have any word on that? It seems like a one-off. It feels like a one-off to me, but it says season one. I don't know if that's just, I think how they structure that on Netflix. Yeah. I think all the Netflix seasons always say that though. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. In any case, it is wonderful. There's so much depth to this show. So, I guess to set up what it is, if you're unfamiliar, it's based on the Shirley Jackson novel of the same name about a haunted house, essentially. So a family moves into an old house. The I almost said the ha- house on Haunted Hill, which is a totally different movie, not related. Mm-hmm. But also should be on your Halloween watch list. <laughs> yes, definitely. 
they're f- trying to flip it and they have like five kids and the kids keep seeing really creepy stuff. And the beautiful thing about the show is that it keeps flipping time frames. And so we go into the past when the children were seeing these specters and in, into the present where they're dealing with the trauma of having mm-hmm. seen those specters and also the family drama. There's a big event that happens at the beginning um, that informs the rest of the show and completely changes the family's dynamic and how they relate to one another. It unravels in the slowest, most meticulous, and just slow burn, beautiful way I think I've ever seen. It's a technical achievement, not just in the way it's shot. It has these big, beautiful matching shots, like someone eats an apple in the past, and now that we take that into the future. But the way that the breadcrumbs are laid out for the viewer, you just get a little bit of information each episode, and it's just enough to make you want to keep watching and find out what the heck is going on in this house and is there any way out for this family? So I adore it. I'm not even all the way through it. I'm, I'm giving it like a full. I know. I want to talk about it with him so bad because I finished it yeah. on Sunday. And I'm on episode seven. So I still have some episodes left to go. So don't spoil it, Julian. I will not. Um, I'll refrain. But I will say that I love how the narrative doesn't go on a straight line, like you said. It's, it's, a, it's a loop. It's, and that's what I like about the narrative just keeps on going and circling back, which is nice. Right, which I mean... It's very creative. The, the themes are just so well intertwined, which goes into a lot of, like, when you have a traumatic event as a child that influences your future, the way it ties those things together right. is stunning. And the actors and actresses I love... Was that actors in Life as a House? He's the he's the older dad in the... In the oh, uh, Timothy Hutton. Oh, yeah. I yeah. love him. Everyone really grows on you. Like To begin with, I was a little skeptical. I wasn't quite convinced. I was like, okay, these people seem kind of wooden, blah, blah, blah. But that was just a bad, like, I don't know what it was. I was making a weird assumption because as you get to know them, they start to feel like a family that has a real connection to each other and you really feel for them and you want them all to get out of these situations um, alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it's it's really an amazing show. Check it out. Um, if you if you like scary movies, it's really, or scary shows, it's really worth it. Uh, you know, before we leap on to the next thing, that uh, the younger version of the dad is played by Henry Thomas, who's a little boy from E.T. Really? That is a yeah. fact that I had no idea about. Yeah, that's crazy. I just love that. I loved seeing him. I was like, oh my gosh. And I Elliot. loved his performance. Yeah, he's great. I think the whole show is really well curated. Uh, it, it, for horror nerds, uh, it is put together by this, this uh, filmmaker named Mike Flanagan, who also did Gerald's Game for Netflix, as well as a very popular slasher movie called Hush. And he's very well known for curating atmosphere. And I think The Haunting of Hill House is a show that really brings all of his aesthetic and uh, filmmaking skills to the forefront because he has the long form to tell a story. And I think Matt uh, is absolutely right when he says it's just really well curated. Uh, And I think that's what makes it spooky. I mean, it's a horrifying idea anyway that this this house has all of this going on, but it's how it's laid out. Yeah, I think haunted house movies work better having watched this in a longer format because you really relate with the characters a little bit more in terms of why they're in the house, why they aren't immediately running with their hair on fire away from the house. But when you're when you think there's an endpoint in sight because you're flipping it and the hauntings are happening to the children who you might not believe and they're happening kind of infrequently, it sort of, sort of feels like something you might put up with for a long time. Right. And it you're not watching it wondering well, why don't they just leave or why doesn't, why don't they just do that? Like there's, I've never had a scene happen yet where I'm 
doubting how the characters are reacting. They were acting in a way that I feel like I might react in that situation, except for maybe the circumstances where they're little kids and they're going into scary situations. But like, I do know people who like would explore that uh, dumb waiter. Well, another thing too, and I always like to bring this up, you know, as someone who writes in the genre and in, engages with the genre, uh, the horror genre all year round, one of the things that a lot of people will point at and be like, well, why didn't they leave the house? Or why did she mm-hmm. stay? Or why did she run out? And even though that just seems like a contrivance to keep a film plot going, because that's often something that mm-hmm. people complain about when they watch horror movies, you need only look at real life to see that people make bad decisions right. all the time. That's a very good point. I mean, horror filmmakers only rely on the fallibility of humanity, and the truth is, is we are very fallible. I mean, like you read news stories of a level, you know, whatever the most devastating level of a hurricane coming right towards someone's house, and they're like, "I'm just going to stay." Yeah. So if you're not going to get out of the way of like 200 mile per hour winds, if like <laughs> someone moves your wine glass at two in the morning, <laughs> right. you're just going to be like, "I, right, I'll deal with it." Well, like that's <laughs> just sort of how it goes. That's a good point. There's also a financial incentive for them because they're yeah. flipping a house. Exactly. And I don't think they had a lot of money to go on that. They're writing on that. So that's a very good point. I think about it like that. That's a, a good comeback for people who are. Well, Why did they run out? That. In moments where I'm stressed, and I'm not like not even say like I'm being stalked by like a maniac or anything, mm-hmm. but like just like when you're stressed or you're tired, who hasn't done something dumb? Like I will make a mm-hmm. pot of coffee and not put the pot in the thing, and mm-hmm. I'm like all of a sudden hear it splashing on my counter. And I'm like, <laughs> so I can very conceivably, in a moment of panic, run up the stairs instead of out the front door because right. that's just how people are. So I think that this show really kind of curates it in such a way where you don't necessarily have those moments. You're like, well, why don't they leave? Because as you said, they space it out where it's believable enough where you just be like, okay, you know, get it together, but we have a job to do. It just feels like a really lived in haunting. You right. kind of are in there with them. The way it kind of slowly ratchets up from banging on the walls to apparitions is, is I think very well done. But also the, Hidden ghosts in the frames are also another reason to watch because they just hide ghosts all over in plain sight in these wide shots. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a little bit of a a Where's Waldo puzzle of can you find the hidden ghosts Mm -hmm. in The Haunting of Hill House? And it's so creepy and unsettling, but really fun at the same time to, to... find them hidden in the frame. Well, it's rare to see a show that makes you realize you may be seeing something you don't know that you're seeing. And I think that's so great. It shows there are new ways that you can engage the genre for audiences, even now, like, you know, all of these years of content later. So that's fun. Netflix does it again. Yeah. Which, you know, uh, my selection for what's making me feel spooky is also a Netflix show. So (laughs) I want want to, uh, you know, kudos Netflix for getting all three of us. Advertisement for them. Um, Knowing that I was going to return to all things cozy, I thought long and hard about like what has been making me feel spooky that also fits in line with the aesthetic of this show. And uh, there's a new series that came out on Netflix recently called The Curious Creations of Christine McConnell uh, that I think is sort of the in a way, the intertwining of both of our brands, spookiness mm-hmm. and coziness. And for those of you who don't know, Christine McConnell is a chef and someone who is into home decor and things who uh, gained prominence on the internet for combining her love of creepy aesthetic with her ability to 
make wonderful meals and pastries and things. So she'll make like a cake that looks like a jack-o'-lantern mm. or cupcakes with tentacles. And she got a lot of traction in the digital space and Netflix. And she collaborated on this series, which is equal parts like a food network show and like Pee Wee's Playhouse. If it took place in a haunted house, because she will like be interacting with these deranged puppets and monsters and then pause and be like, and now we're making like eyeball cupcakes. And it's, awesome like I really think that to me is exactly the kind of treats that I would want for Halloween and I love that she has this whole aesthetic that fits with the season but also is cozy about it too can you explain the how each episode is set up yeah, it's it's very unique in the way that there is a narrative. There tends to be an episode structure where, like, uh, you know, there will be something going on in the house or with her puppet friends. Mm-hmm. And then through the context of the episode, she'll actually pause and make a recipe, I which see. is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it, both parts of it are engaging because, like, normally you don't have a cooking show that has a narrative or vice versa. But she made it work, and you can tell it's just because she loves this kind of content. I read an interview with her where she said that she was inspired by Morticia Adams and Debbie Jelinski from Adams Family Values. She liked their kind of combined aesthetic, and she wondered like what it would be like if these women were actually homemakers. So she brings that to her world, like imagine Morticia making you a pie, but also still being Morticia, and I think that's awesome. I'm so glad you mentioned it, because first of all, our listeners have been really enjoying that show, and because of them... I watched one episode so far. I intend to watch more because it is delightful. And I really enjoy the puppets, especially the raccoon puppet with its fork hand, who just is always trying to murder the other puppets. Yes. yeah, yeah. She is just the most entertaining thing I've ever seen in my life. I love that puppet. Very funny. And the creations are really great. But also it reminds me of a macabre version of... At Home with Amy Sedaris. Yeah. Which might be my favorite show currently, period. I mean, I'm always going to gobble up that kind of content. I, I, that's, I also agree. Like, I mean, obviously this person likes that sort of show. There is a long tradition of puppets and people in a, like, or sketch within like a do-it-yourself show. Like At Home with Amy Sedaris or uh, Mystery Science Theater. All those sorts of things. PB's Playhouse. And it's really a nice surprise and kind of different um, in terms of what we can expect from content. So I'll have to check that out. It. Sounds really cozy. It's a lot of fun. And I just feel like it's uh, it's a good intersection of the world, of our worlds, uh, both for Dead for Filth listeners and All Things Cozy listeners. And knowing I was coming to do this, I was like, well, we have to talk about Christine McConnell. It's the perfect tone. I, th- I feel like if we ever made a live action oh. All Things Cozy Halloween episode, it probably would mm-hmm. feel like that. I hope it would feel like yes. that. That's what I would want it to be. Right, Julian? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to, I was getting lost in thought about our live action episode. Well, what would you imagine would be in our live action episode? That's another topic for another day. <laughs> I always love the idea of like when podcasts or radio shows somehow get like a TV spinoff yeah. or a movie spinoff. Of course, we saw like the This American Life. Uh, they did that, I think, on HBO or Showtime. Mm-hmm. And it was very true to like what he does. But then like there's a Prairie Home Companion, which was just like a very bizarre version of that. Uh, if you ever saw the Robert Altman movie oh, yeah. adaptation. So I think about that often, too. Like, what if there was a Dead for Filth movie? And I, I just feel like it would have to be spooky stories on, on my end. But I also like the idea of, like, you just Muppet show anything. Right. Where it's just like, here we are. We're the hosts of a show, and we're on a road trip to go to, like, 
somewhere in all the wackiness that ensues <laughs> along the way. The great American cozy road trip where you're just on your way to find the coziest things. I love that. I also feel like a big... I, I always imagined our live action show being kind of like a a cooking show or, a, you know, tips. Do that. Like I feel like more I, tips. I feel like At Home with Amy Sedaris honestly just stole our... Our whole thing, so now you could do a Halloween decoration. And, and does episode. it like a billion times better than we ever could? So I, maybe, I, maybe our our show would be more earnest. I think than that. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're so earnest. Earnest, scared, stupid. Another Halloween recommendation. There you go. Well, speaking of being scared, stupid, it's time for creepy locations. Pretty creepy. Yeah, that was more creepy than the last. Yep. Each one creepier than the last. The new soundboard, the old soundboard from the last Halloween. I bust it out once a year <laughs> just for this occasion. Dust it off. Um, I'll, I'll get started with my creepy location. Going back to a balance of cozy and creepy, I feel like a location that does that really well are corn mazes at orchards. So I think, we've, I think most people have visited at some point in their life an apple orchard in the fall. And oftentimes those places have hay rides or, you know, that you can go through a corn maze. And I think those events or like attractions are super cozy. And I say that because I will not do haunted houses. Like I, I love Halloween, but there are certain aspects of Halloween that I can't do because I just don't have the constitution for it, including haunted houses. But for some reason, corn mazes and hay rides, I'm like, are just... Yeah. They're kind of kid-friendly, and so if I have all my like limbs inside of something and I feel like things can't touch me or I don't have to move myself through a space, I'm okay with it. And corn mazes often don't have... They can. There can be haunted corn mazes where things do jump out at you like a haunted house. But I like a good old-fashioned, it's just a maze <laughs> in, at night in corn. You have a flashlight, and you're just trying to figure out how to get out of it. There's, It's not scary to me it's almost comforting it's like i want to stay lost in the maze a well, little bit well it's confined spaces yeah. and some people find like you're telling me how cats like confined spaces yeah. so it's very it's cozy in the sense where there's only so far you can go there's only so many turns and what have you and they're usually narrow paths right yeah usually and I, when i think about memories of doing corn mazes one of the ones that sticks out to me was when i was in college in champaign urbana which is like in farm country and so we would go out to the local farms and we would do corn mazes and it would just be a regular corn maze. But I felt so present in the corn maze. Like you're just alone, not too alone because you hear other people like rustling around mm -hmm. you, but you're just sort of breathing it in and you can't see much. You can see the night, the stars in the sky. It it's feels really very, nice. Yeah. It just feels like you're very present in that moment. It's sort of, I don't know, relaxing and, and something like meditation almost. To me, that's why I really enjoy it. I want to do one now. Yeah. Well, would you say that the corn mazes in the Midwest are different than they are out here? They're like really intense over there because that's their whole kind of caboodle. I think so. I mean, like the ones I've done in Illinois are huge. I, I have done one in California with uh, my little godson and his siblings and my second cousins. And that was cute, but it was super small. And it felt like the like the corn stalks and stuff were like just sort of, I don't know, they're just propped up. Well, yeah, <laughs> we don't space. really have a lot of corn. Right, yeah. yeah. So it didn't feel the same. It didn't feel like endless, like they had cut little paths mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. It just sort of, you know, was a wall. 
And so you can kind of see through it. It wasn't very convincing in terms of as, as, as far as mazes go. But it was fine. But you, you can't you can't do better than the Midwest for that sort of thing. So you kind of like autumn based event for spooky cozy spots. The classic orchard visit every year. You know, are you a pumpkin patch kind of guy? Or? I am a pumpkin patch kind of guy. I'm 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 can't an all wrong. I'm an all in one kind of guy. I want I want to go pick apples. I want to drink some cider. I want to pick up my pumpkins. I want to go through a corn maze. And I want to do it all at the same place. Right. <laughs> That's like, how it works in the Midwest or on the true. East Coast too. Yeah, like it's, on the it's East all Coast. it's a one st- and for most places it's a one stop shop. You go and you do the thing. Out here, the one place I went to most recently, because again, you don't have the exact same kind of crop or fall feel because it's California. They try their best though, and there are parts of California that approximate it at higher altitudes. But they do a big pumpkin launch, and so they'll like blow up some pumpkins for you to make up for the fact that they don't have as many. Um, I think I like that. Wait, I don't Crops. know about this. A pumpkin launch? Yeah, so they'll blast a pumpkin out of a cannon and uh, it'll explode. It'll splat on the ground. It'll I launch up and guarantee blow up. this is a decidedly American only kind of thing. Oh, definitely. I would say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's just let's just completely destroy our gourds, yeah. yeah. Well, I think uh <laughs> Because Matt, you're a, you are a little people, big world fan. Yep. So. I bet I bet the roll off farm does it right. No, one of the roll off kids got seriously injured from their pumpkin launch. Really? Do you Wh- remember which one? The little one, the littlest guy. Okay. Just so I throw a trivia in for all our TLC fans. I appreciate it. Well, I'm concerned for him. Well, he's recovered. Maybe don't yeah. explode vegetables. You know, I'm just saying. Yeah. People are starving. Yeah. Well, it doesn't seem very well. A lot of people in gray sweatpants that have could that could have used that pumpkin for a pumpkin spice latte. That's right. That you just totally denied. Well, yeah, it doesn't seem like a very fall activity. It just seems like an idiot launching it out to her backyard. I mean, wow, <laughs> sorry, Jillian. I guess I I don't know. I do, I don't like it. I don't know. I think it's disrespectful to the Halloween season as well. If I just blew up a Christmas tree, you know everybody on the internet would <laughs> yeah. be raging. Oh, but we yeah. got to blow up a pumpkin and everyone's just fine. Yeah. How well, dare you? This is a pr- sacred holiday to me. <laughs> <laughs> we need to start PTP Protect the Pumpkins. Protect the Pumpkins. It's our new charity. We're going to shut down pumpkin launches all across the country. <laughs> no more. Are they are they called pumpkin launches or pumpkin rockets? Pumpkin rockets. Either one I'm upset about. <laughs> yeah. Pumpkin toss. I don't, I don't care know. what you call it. Yeah. I'm not having it. Pumpkins are for eating or for carving, not for blowing up. Right. And if you're doing it right, it's both. <laughs> Every pumpkin I carve, I always like roast the seeds. I, I, I use every bit of the pumpkin. <laughs> Dances with gourds over here. That's right. I'm very respectful of the pumpkin carving process. If I'm carving pumpkins, it is a full night's experience. I load up the Sabrina the Teenage Witch Halloween episodes, the Melissa Jones. Oh my God, original. you're reminding me. There's so much to watch. <laughs> One week left. Uh, and if you're listening to this, you only have three days left. So good luck. Right. <laughs> Uh, so much to do. So much Halloween to ween. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> Jillian, what's your creepy location? Well, I guess it's, supposed, it's a cliche, but the DMV, just because I was recently there, it's a lot of anxiety for me. And I feel like, for me, um, terror and spookiness is anxiety-based. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I just don't like the unknown. So I felt like when I stepped in there, I didn't know what was going to happen because I was riding dirty for four years with my New York state license. And then... <laughs> I only got my California license after it 
um, my New York state license expired. So I wasn't sure it was going to happen when I walked in. It's very bold of you to reveal on the air, just so you know. Also, this is the only Halloween special you're going to listen to this year with a DMV story in it. I know. I was trying to come up with what I was <laughs> trying to think of a place. And then I really thought about it. I was like, well, the scariest place I've been to, because I was so anxious the whole time, because I really didn't know what the heck. Am I going to get a license? Am I not? Am I going to pass the test? I don't know. And there's a lot of like stillness and quiet when the person's shuffling through your papers, and I always think they're going to find something like a probation, a violation, and I don't have any of that. But I always, in my mind, <laughs> I'm thinking A lot of questions now. I'm thinking to myself, are they just going to pull up something crazy, even though I know that's anxiety stuff? Yeah, future, future DMV visits, they're going to be like, listen to this episode of the podcast <laughs> where you just talked about riding dirty with plates for four years. <laughs> Well, it got even worse. What it, happened? It really something very scary happened today. I got an email from the DMV. <laughs> She's serious. She's not even. I usually don't. Not, I usually not don't break down, but it's just so ridiculous. I got an email from the DMV, and my name was spelled G I L L A I N, and I'm Jillian. We know. <laughs> Listeners might not. We might have some new listeners. Well, you spelled your name a lot. <laughs> I think they know. So anyways, <laughs> I was like, maybe this is a fluke. I check my paper license. It's spelled that way. So I'm going to have to go back. Just when you thought you were safe. I'm still writing dirty now. Oh I, I'm not my name. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or we can just call you Jelaine from now on. <laughs> to be fair... If you get called for jury duty right now, though, you have a just cause not to go because that's not who you are. I don't know her. Yeah. But yeah, so that was just the terror, like opening up my glove compartment, like, please don't say Jelaine. Please don't say Jelaine. It was Jelaine. Oh, my God. Don't they have you double check it? Well, here's the thing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to go too much into it, but I apply for the real ID. And so I filled a screener questions beforehand uh-huh. and it says, make sure you double check and be very careful. And I thought to myself, well, I checked all the, my address, whatnot. I didn't think to check my name. So it wasn't even them. It was you. It's, it's pro- <laughs> wow. It's probably me. The call was coming from inside the house <laughs> yeah. the entire time. Well, you promised tricks and treats this episode. And I feel like that story had a few. Very spooky. Yeah. You can't get spookier than the DMV. Or can you, Michael? What's your what's your uh, creepy location? Well, me being me, I'm bringing it back around to the holiday. Uh, I actually do enjoy a good haunt from time to time, a haunted house uh, or attraction. I will say that I am a traditionalist in the way that I don't like these ones that you are in danger of like being grabbed or like, you know, taken places. Mm -hmm. Like I don't like this nouveau haunted. I like the old traditional, like where you walk through and someone jumps out at you Mm -hmm. and there's like maybe a spooky story like years ago, old farmer Ted ate his family and now they're ghosts. Right. Um, Yeah. Now now they have people signing waivers. It's true. It's way too intense. You know, just to give another hat tip to uh, Netflix for good horror content. um, They created a documentary about this called haunters that you can watch. It's all about Mm -hmm. this new movement of haunted houses. And that's, worth watching if you're not interested in actually going to them because you can kind of see inside some of America's more intense ones without having to deal with it yourself. But I like a good traditional haunted house. I think there's something fun about the whole tradition. 
And recently, I just made a road trip up to San Francisco to see a new haunted house attraction curated by my friend Peaches Christ called Terror Vault, which was actually built into the old San Francisco Mint building. And it's a historic old building that's been there since the turn of the century. And like when the earthquake in San Francisco happened at the turn of the century, a lot of jails broke open, which released criminals into the streets. And uh, they couldn't repair the jails fast enough to put the people in. But the San Francisco Mint, which was uh, at at the time a building that was housing like 60% of the nation's gold before they moved it, was built so securely that it, it was fine. And at that point, I think a lot of the gold had already been moved out. So when they captured criminals, they were literally putting them in vaults in the basement of this mint and just leaving them there because it was a secure place. And uh, so that's sort of sorted and kind of creepy anyway that they're just locking people in the basement of this building. And uh, what Peaches did is she built the story of her haunted house around the actual history of the building. So you enter it as if you're going on a tour of the San Francisco Mint, and of course it goes wrong. So there's an interactive kind of element where you're just on a tour and it gets spooky. What I liked about the attraction is it's uh, a little mix of historic San Francisco. You get a bit of city history, but then it's got this theatricality to it. There's an interactive nature because of the whole notion that you are a part of a tour group that then gets stuck inside with the ghosts. It was so fun and cool. And because it's San Francisco, there was a queer element to it. But there were some drag queens and uh, they're monsters and clowns and I don't know. It just hit all the right spots for me. And I'm not just saying that because my friend made it. I think it's a really marvelous and ingenious way to curate an experience. And I like that they used an actual existing location with, with history. And that to me was just really fun. It, it was something that I definitely would go back and do again. I love it. I love a good haunted house and it's one of the best ones I've been to in a while. So I really, that's, that's my spooky location. It houses with a story because when you don't have a haunted house that's rooted in a narrative, mm-hmm. it just feels kind of, well, I'm not going to say a little pointless, but people just grabbing you, like you said, you're just going in there to get grabbed and terrorized. But I like to learn a little something too, or at least have a compelling narrative to guide me through. Yeah. Right. Especially if it's ed- like educational like that, it's actually mm-hmm. really nice. You're doing two things at once. It's creepy and... You're learning something. Yeah, there were some definite things that after the fact, I uh, went home and looked up because I was just shocked. I mean, the truth is, is uh, f- fact is always stranger than fiction. Yeah. And, yep. and, and real people are always the real monsters. So they just took advantage of that and and added it, wove it into the, the fabric of the fright. That's really cool. How long is that attraction running? Uh, that's another reason I'm happy to bring it up. It goes through Halloween and into the first week of November. So oh, cool. li- listeners who might be in the Bay Area or are traveling to San Francisco... Uh, after they hear this, there's still time you can go, uh, and it's so cool. And it is uh, it is worth the money. It is a 45 minute experience. It's not like one of these where you go to an amusement park and 15 minutes later you get kicked through mm-hmm. a haunted house. It's really smart. It's really cool. That sounds amazing. So if you're in the area, check it out in the Bay Area. I, even I would do that. Yeah, me haunted too. House, and I'm very not into them. I li- I like the narrative. I like that I learned something. Just to be in an historic space sounds worth it. Yeah, it's definitely cool. It's, it's worth seeing. Well, moving on with the creepy caravan, <laughs> let's dive into our... <laughs> Michael is literally just like so fed up with this, all these puns. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone would appreciate it, it's you, Michael. I love it. Okay, so we're doing something a little different this year with our main segment. So last year we talked about 
Halloween films that are cozy and then scary. So I think we did like a separate list, like the ones that are really creepy that we like, but also ones that we thought are just fun to watch and, and just enjoyable to return to every year. Right. We're going a little bit different this year, and our theme for this episode are black and white horror films. So those chillingly classic horror movies that are filmed in black and white. So let's snap to it and talk about our favorite black and white horror films. Would anyone like to kick it off? I can get it started. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So I had a few in mind initially, and it was finding, I guess, like actually going back to our original Christine McConnell. Yes. Her show, that kind of balance between cozy and scary. I wanted to pick a movie that perfectly captures my favorite type of black and white horror movie, which does kind of that. It balances the playfulness and humor with dark material, that kind of sweet spot is what I love. Mm-hmm. And so initially I was like, okay, I went a little too creepy and I was rewatching eyes without a face. Cause I really like it, but I like it because it's actually unsettling. Right. And that wasn't quite the mood I was going for. And then I thought, well, I really like plan nine from outer space as like a really goofy counterpoint to that. But that was a little bit too goofy and not enough scary. And I found that the perfect in-between was a movie that I actually watched for the first time just a week ago, which is The Bride of Frankenstein. It's the first time you've ever seen The Bride of Frankenstein? Yes. I wow. mean, probably not truly the first time I've ever seen any part of it. I've, I Rewatching it, I had realized that I had seen... Obviously, in clip shows, you see the bride appear all the time. And I realized rewatching it that I had seen the blind man scene a lot, but I feel like almost the most I know about Bride of Frankenstein is from Young Frankenstein, right? <laughs> which lampoons a huge portion of that movie. I guess to recap what the Bride of Frankenstein is about, if you haven't seen it, like I hadn't until very recently, it, the movie starts where you're in Mary Shelley's drawing room. She's talking to Lord Byron. She reveals that actually there's more to that Frankenstein story than you thought. And we're thrown back into the ending of Frankenstein where the mill is, the windmill is burning. And ostensibly Frankenstein died in the original, but we learn actually he's just hiding out in the water underneath it, which good job. It's a safe space to go in a fire, I suppose. Right. He gets out of there. He immediately kills some townspeople, which is totally just sort of, they really try to have their cake and eat it too with Frankenstein's monster. I have to say like he's, at the one time, we were supposed to, meant to feel sympathy for him, but at the same time, he just really does constantly kill innocent people. So eh, I don't know how to feel about the monster. So he gets out of that windmill and <laughs> basically tromps all around the countryside. Meanwhile, Dr. Pretorius, Henry Frankenstein's uh, mentor, returns. Also, Henry Frankenstein, who you think is dead because he got thrown off the mill, actually also survived. And he reveals that he is so impressed by the scientific gains that he had made, that his, that his uh, student had made, he wants to join forces and create a n- new life in a better way. Henry Frankenstein is not into that idea, but eventually he sort of, through force, um, makes him build a bride for Frankenstein, and it ends in tragedy again. This also contains, I think, the, one of the more famous Frankenstein scenes, which is when he goes into the blind man's hut 
and he can't see um, Frankenstein's monster. I keep saying Frankenstein mm-hmm. when I mean Frankenstein's monster. It's just so tedious to say. <laughs> Enjoys that friendship. And now Frankenstein's monster is talking. And apparently Karloff didn't want him to talk at all. But he he is talkative in really? this movie. By the end of it, he's saying full sentences and like a really great accent, actually. So he's pronouncing his words very well for a zombie. Yeah, I loved it because, first of all, like... I think a lot of older movies, especially younger people, automatically assume they're going to be dull. Right. Mm-hmm. And this, I was gripped the entire time. It was entertaining the whole way through. This movie was over the top. The acting was insane. They're chewing the scenery. The performances are like way out there, especially mm-hmm. Minnie, the, I don't know what she is. She's like the maid of the mansion. And she is wearing this ridiculous little hat and this peasant garb. Um, and she's just screaming like a ninny, like for most a of the ninny. movie. But she's doing those double takes that like like Abbott and Costello double right. takes. And then you have the dark stuff where he's like really killing quite a lot of people as he's trying to get people to understand him. Frankenstein's monster's MO is someone starts screaming and he wants you to stop screaming. Right. <laughs> so he kills you. That's it's like just that's too sad. Those are things where I can't get into those kinds of movies because it makes too sad. What's too sad? I don't know. I made the misunderstood thing. It sounds so sophomoric, but I just don't. Oh, okay. I, it just always pulls on my heartstrings when, I get there's, that. when there's this beast that just wants to, that love and like simple acceptance and they're always misunderstood. I guess like a, a mice and men kind of thing where you're just like. That's what I can't get into the horror aspect of that because I'm just so preoccupied with my. Well, he's empathy. a sympathetic character. He's, for he's sure. a sympathetic monster, and I. It's funny to me though that he's sympathetic and yet he does awful things constantly. Right, but I do think that's more of a construct of the Bride of Frankenstein than the actual Frankenstein right, story. That's true. I think they just had to kind of like continue this narrative, and when they were not working off of Mary Shelley's actual text, they leaned into monster tropes that take away from the actual notion that the monster should be the sim- the, the real monster of, of Frankenstein mm-hmm. is Dr. Frankenstein. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just interesting how the Bride of Frankenstein kind of presents everybody in sort of a re-rack of, of the story because um, often when you talk about Frankenstein, it's sort of definitive, uh, a, a tale of otherness. And, and, the, and the monster is the ultimate other because it is outside of society and it just wants acceptance from society. Um, which really has a lot of, you know, coding for anybody who is an outsider themselves. Uh, this movie is very, very different than than Shelley's original book, but um, it's delicious. I mean, like, obviously, we all love the bride. She is uh, an iconic character. And she's in it for five minutes. I know. That's the even crazier thing. She's really not, this movie, she's the titular character, but she's really not in it at all. <laughs> Right. I mean, she gets a she gets a good moment. Right. Uh, my favorite thing about the the Bride of Frankenstein, as someone who's interested in the queer intersection of horror, is the relationship between Doctor Frankenstein and Doctor Pretorius, because it literally uh, the movie the movie Bride of Frankenstein as well as the original Frankenstein were both directed by James Whale, who's a gay man, and uh, his story there there is that movie Gods and Monsters that you McKellen is. Oh, in I, I was obsessed with that movie in high school, and I also felt like watching Bride of Frankenstein. There is this camp element to especially the way that the actors are directed. Oh, there's a total queerness to the movie. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, when Pretorius comes to Dr. Frankenstein, it, what people tend to forget is it's on Frankenstein's wedding night. And it's this idea that, like, he just married Elizabeth, and then this, like, other guy shows up, and he's like, but Henry, I need you to come with me. And he's like, okay, and just, like, leaves with him. And you're like, wait a second. Mm. 
seems a little gay. <laughs> what are they doing with those homunculuses? That's what I want to know. Well, exactly. Well, I that's have... uh, the hum- homunculuses, the little people that Pretorius has invented. He brought back human life in the form of these little people, like that he puts in jars, a king and a pope. And it's, and it's so silly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was just so blown away by these weird diversions of now we're looking at a mermaid in a jar. Like I was not expecting that in the bride of Frankenstein yet. There we were. Yeah. It's kind of unhinged. Yeah. Honestly, I enjoyed it. Like I was gripped the entire time. It Mm -hmm. is a breezy hour and 10 minutes long. It's the perfect cozy black and white film that you just catch on TV Mm -hmm. and you're, you know, you're having a glass of wine or you're just all cuddled up in bed. It just feels like a warm hug of a movie. It's just sort of pleasant and silly and a little scary, but not too scary. I think it's like, for me, like the perfect balance of a cozy, classic black and white horror film. I like that. Yeah. Jillian, uh, what is your classic black and white horror movie? Well, to be quite honest, I don't have many of my Rolodex, but um, I had watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 1956 film. And the first time I had ever seen it was that I was in a college and our class was novel into film. So we would uh, watch novelization of films and compare them and what whatnot. It always stuck with me, the invasion of the body snatchers for some reason, not because I think it's particularly well done or even the plot I find particularly interesting. For me, it just represents what I like about scary movies, which is it's not a lot of gore. It's not a lot of violence it's just that eerie feeling when you know something's not right Mm -hmm. and i think that's what the invasion of the bias snatchers represents because the plot is these people start finding pods around their little town in california and when you open the pod it's a version of yourself a replica of you and slowly but surely these replicas are taking over your own body and they're are everything a human is except they're devoid of emotion. So it's like I could see Matt and know it's Matt in my logically it was Matt, but then when I go and talk to him, there's something off and there's something different. And it's that being unnerved. And that's what I like about scary movies, that being unnerved. And that's what I find particularly interesting over like a, a typical gory movie, which I is not putting it down. It's just what I particularly find intriguing. And so, yeah, it's over the top, kind of like how you said. And I think it, with those, I think any black and white movies, sometimes it's the acting's just a lot more, I don't know how it was theatrical. Yeah, it was of, it's of the time. Yeah, it's of yeah. the time. You know, it's of the time. Um, so it's very over the top. And I think it always be comedic in that sense. Mm-hmm. But there's still something that eerie, especially when the protagonist, his love interest, he's trying to save her throughout the film. And there's that moment where he goes to kiss her and he thinks that they've been saved. And then he just notices some things off after he kisses her and finds out that she's been taken over. And that's just a pivotal moment, which I found, you know, particularly poignant. Yeah, it's a movie I haven't seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I definitely feel like it would have the same vibe of like watch catching it on TV, mm-hmm. a good cozy watch. Oh, and- yeah. It's so easy. It's just... Once you said breezy, go right through it. It's interesting you bring up the acting because I think that's a huge part of why these movies feel cozy to me is because they are from a different time where there's a different standard of naturalism or lack thereof in terms of what people valued out of performance. Right. That watching it now is just sort of enjoyable because 
it does take all of the scary element out of it when there's nothing that it, it feels staged. It feels theatrical. Mm-hmm. You're always reminded that it's a play, but that kind of makes it more comfortable and, and not scary and enjoyable to watch. And you kind of get to engage in darker subject matter, but also in a sort of lighthearted way, even more lighthearted than it was originally intended. And definitely originally was received because I'm sure at the time it was really jarring. But for for us now, it seems really hokey. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, the, the yeah. acting. What is particularly strange, too, about that kind of safety buffer is knowing that Invasion of the Body Snatchers originally was an allegory for kind of Cold War phobia mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. this idea that you don't really know your neighbors. You may see them and you may think you know them, but there is something that could be off. And uh, that was very much preying on a paranoia of the time. And I, I think every time uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers gets updated, it seems more irrelevant than ever because there's always kind of this prevailing lack of trust that we have with yeah. our government, with our culture, with each other. And every generation that it's remade in, there's always something that like we can attach it to. That original is so intense and, and theatrical that it, it maybe doesn't read the way it, it did then. But it's just shocking to me how the themes of it are still relevant. So maybe that's the best way to see it is kind of it's the safest way to see it is the original version. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess the, all the original horror movies like, are timeless in that sense. Yeah. That's why they were made so many times so they continue on. Yeah. Well, the, the, the themes are so strong. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, to be honest, that's why I love horror as a genre, period, is because in most cases, and I think almost in all cases, good horror films are about something else. Right. There, There's always a stand-in element. Mm-hmm. They're often... I think because you can do a horror movie quick and dirty and people are fans of the genre more than they're fans of a particular actor or... You know, you can sell a horror movie without any names. Right. And they get to be extra responsive to the culture because they're often cheaper to make. It's kind of easier to make people scared on less money. And you can address more timely themes. And so it almost feels like horror movies have this unique vantage point of being able to comment on the culture in a way that other genres take a long time to get back around Mm -hmm. to. And I think that's also why they become so classic is because they were really saying something. Well, it's also one of the few genres that has a shelf life that continues in the way that you can make a horror movie today and it maybe isn't a hit today Mm -hmm. and it maybe isn't a hit next week, but in five years, someone might discover it. Right. There's, there's a weird longevity in the genre that doesn't exist in any other genre. Like if you make a drama and it does not sell today, it's never going to be popular. But if you make a horror movie that doesn't land with audiences today, it could still be popular in 10 years because those audiences are always looking at things and rediscovering things and uh, reevaluating. And I think that horror is one of the few spaces where the commentary is strong but uh, different enough that it tends to have longevity because you can sort of project yourself onto what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the true crime if you're making a horror movie is just don't make it boring. Right. You can make a bad horror movie and it can still be celebrated. But if you make a boring one, that's the crime. (laughs) You're right. I, when I think about literally any other genre, like if you were like, watch this rom-com from 1935, I might say no. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
or comedy, especially like what's funny then is not funny now. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna laugh when someone gets a hammer through, in between their eyes. I don't the Three Stooges stuff. I I don't mm-hmm. understand it. Right. I don't understand what those those crazy kids were liking back then. <laughs> but horror just is timeless, and I think it's because fear doesn't really change as human beings. Like our fears stay kind of right. solid, um, even though humor changes really rapidly over time, and dra- well, like our sense of of drama seems to shift not necessarily like in terms of subject matter mm-hmm. but i think drama is so so interwoven with performance that like when it's unnaturalistic now it kind of doesn't seem like it has the same weight but just horror just works michael how about you when you are thinking of your favorite black and white classic horror movie what was your pick I mean, I'm a big fan of of classic horror films in general. I watch them all the time. I love Vincent Price. I love William Castle. That whole era of horror movies, I engage with it frequently. But for me to really just like isolate one that is definitive uh, quality, there's a movie from 1961 called The Innocence. It was directed by Jack Clayton, and it stars Deborah Carr. And uh, it's kind of a good movie if you just watch The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix because they tonally share a similar vibe despite decades of difference because they're all about a house and uh, the people who live in it. And there is a generational divide. Uh, The movie is about... Uh, Deborah Carr, who comes to this remote estate, she is a governess who has been charged to watch these two children. And the other servants uh, who work in the house keep kind of inferring to her that the house is bad, that it's haunted. And she, being a, a woman of the city, is like, preposterous. I, you know, absolutely not. I'm here to watch the kids. I will have nothing with your superstitious country ways. And... Uh, it starts getting to her and it's not just the notion that the house is haunted. She starts believing that the children are possessed. It's a movie that I really emphatically want people to see. So I'm not going to say much more because I want you to discover it and kind of go on that ride for the first time because although it has uh, a lot of impact and you can see the groundwork that it laid for many, many movies that have come afterwards, including Poltergeist and any haunted house movie, there's, elements of the innocence and the shining it's a movie that's all about atmosphere it does not necessarily have the name recognition that a bride of frankenstein or a vision of the body snatchers would have but it is it's uh it is definitely a cornerstone moment in how horror can be quiet and horror can be strong because i think when we talk about the affectations of old cinema we often do discuss that theatricality you know what you're talking about how there is still always that element that it feels like you're watching a play or that you can separate yourself from that. And, you know, there, there is very much uh, in the innocence that is of its era. There's still kind of like the transatlantic accents and like a little bit of theatricality to it. But it's a lot more subtle than a lot of movies of the time. And I think it's sort of a turning point for the genre where it's showing that you don't necessarily have to have big monsters and big moments to get under your audience's skin. And there's just so many wonderful things about it that are unsettling and strange and eerie. Uh, eerie, I think, is the perfect word for it. I, there, there are a few movies like it of the time, and there are many movies that imitated it after the fact. You know, for literature nerds, it's worth noting that a big chunk of the script was uh, written by Truman Capote. Really? Yeah. Oh. He, uh, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was based on an original text that Capote came in and helped uh, adapt for screen. 
So with his flair for language and scenario combined with uh, Jack Clayton's direction, it's really a great haunted house movie. Well, I love a haunted house movie, so I'm going to see it. That sounds amazing. Another interesting fact, too. Yeah, uh, it was recently remastered uh, for Blu-ray by the Criterion Collection, so it's definitely worth checking out. That is, I've never heard of that movie at all. Yeah, I feel like I should have. (laughs) I think you'd like it. Honestly, it is spooky. It's the it's the spookiest of the three movies we've discussed, but it's also a good one that uh, if you were to like get a nice blanket and a cup of tea, Mm -hmm. it's a good like rainy afternoon ghost movie kind of deal. I'm just a sucker for ghost movies. They're my favorite. It's my favorite style. Mm-hmm. I'm into ghosts. They stick with me in a way that other horror monsters don't. Some may say they haunt you. <laughs> <laughs> some may say that, Michael. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I hope that we've given you some inspiration, some ideas for films to watch this Halloween, which is in three days for those listening. Check these films out. You know, Bride of Frankenstein, The Innocents, and Invasion, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I got, I got to you, Julian. I got it. I got it. Are there any other black and white films that, that you think of? That, like we mentioned a, a ton in between. Are right. there any final ones you want to recommend to listeners before hmm. we move on to our next horrifying topic? It's a it's a basic choice, but always go for a little Hitchcock. Uh, Psycho is great. I know Psycho was just sitting there, and I was like, it almost seems too obvious. <laughs> what well, is too obvious? But I think sometimes you know you'll have uh, listeners who are engaging with classic cinema for the first time. Mm -hmm. And though we watch a lot of movies, uh, it seems like an obvious pick for us. Yeah. Uh, They may not. I mean, you know, as we sit here in 2018 recording this, Jamie Lee Curtis was just in the 40th anniversary new version of Halloween. To me, it's a no brainer that most people going to see Halloween 40 have seen Halloween 78 because Mm -hmm. it's been a movie that is like permeated pop culture. But there are people who are, you know, in high school right now in college who have never seen a movie that was made before 2000 or Mm -hmm. so, you know, psycho obviously goes way farther back than Halloween. And, uh, you're not going to have a Halloween without psycho. In fact, Janet Lee, Jamie Lee's mother, is in Psycho. So it's like, there's your through line. Just mm-hmm. keep keep trucking the train, the Curtis train, and, and uh, just follow those Lees. Yeah, go see Janet Lee in Psycho. Watch Halloween, Halloween Two, Halloween Twenty Eighteen. Yeah. yeah, there's all that. But uh, as far as other great black and white horror movies, I mean, it's there's a, a whole slew of them. Uh, you, you know, if, if Vincent Price is in it, you have a good uh, chance that it's going to be awesome. The Tingler. The, f- the original Fly, anything William Castle directed, 13 Ghosts, House on Haunted Hill. I just rewatched the remake of 13 Ghosts. Again, it just uh, ghosts, but also right. it stuck with me as a kid because I watched it, I rewatched it a lot on HBO. It is horrible. I'm just going to put that out there. I really, as much as it kind of has a special place in my heart, <laughs> right? I have to confront the fact rewatching it that it like just doesn't make any sense. It, it very much is like, it is the aimless haunted house of movies. It's like they're just in that space to scare people. There's not really a reason. Necessarily. It's kind of like a, a R-rated Scooby-Doo episode, honestly. Oh, absolutely, very much. But Castle's original movie, of which the remake is based on, is worth yeah. checking out. Uh, well, yeah. It, what's crazy is that he had like the the dual vision thing, mm-hmm. where like you could put on one set of glasses and you don't see the ghosts, and you put on another set of glasses and you can, and so the viewer at any time 
can opt in or out to seeing the the ghosts. It, yeah, William Castle was definitely a filmmaker who always had a gimmick. I believe that was called Percepto. Right. Yeah, and if you went and saw House on Haunted Hill when that came out, uh, he did a thing called Emergo, where a skeleton would fly through the audience. Uh, when he screened The Tinkler, he would put buzzers in people's seats to like shock them. But, uh, yeah, I think there's just a lot of great black and white horror movies um, of the era. I had a few on that. And, uh, you know, anybody who recently watched Feud with uh, on television should watch Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. That's a is, really unsettling movie. To it do is it, an really. unsettling movie. Yeah. But, you know, talk about classic black and white horror movies mm-hmm. that no one uh, is talking about as much as they ought to. No, that, that is a ton of recommendations. So you have, you have your work cut out for you, <laughs> listener. Before we, before we go into our celebrities that scare us, I do want to quickly check in on a topic we kind of addressed last time, but I just want to do a quick, a quick 2018 update. Are there any Halloween trends you've noticed this year that you just sort of like want to flag and kind of like, hey, I'm noticing this happening and I have an opinion about it? I'll, I'll get us started so you get a sense of what I'm talking about. So the thing that's on my mind is that teal pumpkins are huge this year. Insofar as like if you go to a Michaels or you go to Target, Target in particular has like a whole line of like bright teal pumpkins, which also fit into this Michaels thing that's happening, which are pastel pumpkins, Easter colored Halloween decorations no, that are thank you that are happening mm-hmm. a lot. You know, it's it's really a trend. Have you are you noticing this? Am yeah. I crazy? Yeah, I don't like that. I mean, I've noticed. I just kind of like I think actively choose to ignore it because to me, you need to have autumn colors for mm-hmm. Halloween. Like, I don't mind like the oranges, the yellows, the browns, the reds, and like you know black. But like, I don't and like don't get me wrong. I love like hot pink and teal. Like those are colors that are in my wardrobe, but. They're not spooky. Like right. I need spooky colors. Romper did an article today about how teal pumpkins are supposed to be an indicator that your child, or this is a house that gives away allergy-free candy. Oh, so that's the that's the rationale I, behind I, it. I think maybe. So if you leave a teal pumpkin on your doorstep, that's safe for your kid to go and get treats like there won't be peanut butter candies or whatnot. I'm not probably not too Michael has with. thoughts. He's <laughs> Yeah. Um for me, and I'm gonna mention something very not cozy, so I'm not gonna truly explain myself, but it's like hanky code, but with pumpkins. It is. All right, I get it. Like look, we live in a world where everything's you know, requires a little extra explanation so but i'm not not? sure if that's what's causing the trend it just might be like oh we have so many teal pumpkins let's just do something i think people noticed it and they're like well that's kind of pretty i want teal pumpkin and i think it's it's become divorced from its original meaning i think that's probably what it is Um, because the pastel pumpkins really don't have any relationship to that there's also um pastel goth is like a new trend in fashion which is Goth style, goth. I feel like I'm saying that weird. Yeah. It's, it's goth style, but pastel. There's I nothing love, more to say I about it. I love pastel. It is, I, yeah. I love a good pastel. Like what, Regina George? Come on, you can't be goth and and in pastels. I kind of dig it. I don't know. That that's one thing. But Halloween decorations in that color, it's like there's a, there's a place Pass for that. Has his time. And that's an Easter, and we, we yeah. got it. But Halloween, like it's the only holiday that's black and orange. Like, can we lean into it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think that like if there are any trends that I've noticed, is sort of like disco-fied spookery. You know what I mean? Like, everything's, like... Glittery. Yeah, there's been, like, this new thing where I've noticed, like, I bought, like, a a pumpkin that was made of sequins, so it was all shiny and sparkly. Mm -hmm. It fell in Halloween colors, so it's not, like, outrageous. But then I I was at the store the other day, and they had made this assortment of skulls that all had, like... 
a, a jewel spider on it or like, you know, a slapdash of gold glitter in the eye sockets. And I'm like, I'm not mad at it, but I kind of like, when did this start? When when did we uh, lean into? Yeah, everything has to be jazzed up. Yeah. yeah. Moving on to our next topic, celebrities that scare us. Jillian, who is your celebrity that scares you? Tom Cruise. <laughs> You're ready. Why Tom Cruise? Well, there's some... I, I don't even want to get into the Scientology thing. It's a whole other thing. And I'm sure this is a symptom of him being in Scientology, but he's always just so happy whenever he does interviews, like exceedingly happy. And he makes it seem like he's so invested in the person who's interviewing him. Is they actually paying attention and... He might really be there. He might. But I feel like he's putting on the show of being a human. Does that make sense? His body's been snatched. I am going to say, though, as someone who routinely interviews people, that seems like a really good thing. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I interview people, too, for articles and whatnot. And I, I yes, don't know I, yet. Yes, and I, I am. like I'm, I'm there. I'm with them, whatnot. But I may should be clarified. I feel like he's imitating a human who's interested in another human. It's like a little too much. It's like I'm I'm eye contact, nodding, like Yes. Like a little bit too so engaged that it takes you out of it. Like he's I've, putting on a performance of being engaged. Right. Like and then it feels like you're trying you're almost being conned. Yes. And I I don't know. It's just this whole thing. And maybe it's just because the Scientology thing, but he just is always so excited and over eager and enthusiastic. And it just rings so hollow that it's eerie. And then I, don't know, there, I guess there's other things. You don't really know what's going on in his life, his personal life, what's going on there. So there's a mystery, but it's like a dark mystery. You don't know if he... A dark mystery. <laughs> the haunting of Cruise House. Yeah. I mean, you don't know... Is this person hired to be his girlfriend? Is it not? Like, there's always like that weird element. Yeah. But I guess I don't know. I'm wading into uncomfortable territory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tom Cruise. I go back and forth on him because I, I get what you're saying, but on the other hand, people who work with him seem to really think he's a great guy. And yeah, I've never heard. I, anything I, bad I feel like about he's him. a. That's what I. I haven't heard anything bad about him too. But I feel like it's a body Jillian snatcher. Jillian doesn't trust that. I don't. Jillian I, hates happy people. That's a no, whole other aspect. I know. I think there's so many. You hear about great actors and whatnot, or especially people who come into you know at Perez. People would you'd see like really like people on Bravo rally shows would act like the biggest jerks. But mm-hmm. then you would have who Rita Ora is not big, but she came in and she was so who? Rita Ora. Oh, who? Don't wow. even who me, Louis <laughs> Vitel. <laughs> um, so I felt like. You know, she came in and talked to people and was kind and nice, and she actually seemed really genuine. So, like, I, I can get, like, the vibe between not being genuine and not... I don't know. Something about him just feels hollow. It's, I think he's been body snatched. But that's just my personal opinion. What do you think, Michael? Gosh, this is one that I actually uh, have been thinking about a lot. Celebrities who scare me. Because I think there's a multitude of ways that you could take it. yeah. Uh, I don't know that I'm actually scared of anybody like in the like I'm a ele- well I mean there are people in our high ranking levels of government that I'm afraid of like right. genuinely but that's not really the mode of our discussion tonight you know honestly I think cuz I know I know what your choice is and it's like a good scare Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go, and because I mentioned her earlier, uh, and hat tip off for all of these years of, of service within the genre, 
uh, is I'm a little afraid of Jamie Lee Curtis because I feel like she's a force of nature in the best possible way. So my fear is actually a compliment because I feel like she has been uh, a, in service of us uh, in, in terms of making good horror movies since she was a teenager, not just uh, Halloween, but Terror Train and Prom Night and The Fog and The Virus, Halloween H2O, Halloween 2018. Uh, and, you know, I think that she knows what she wants. She's a serious person. Uh, and, and I think that you need to be a little scary to survive in Hollywood. And we see so many people who have not had half the career that she has had. And that's great. And maybe that's not the scary or spooky that you asked about. But, like, I think there should be a little... I, I think someone should walk into a room and, let, and, and know what they want. And there should be that a little bit intimidation because mm-hmm. it keeps them in this town. Because mm-hmm. we see so many people go away. So She's very stable, too. And I yes. think stable currents are... Plus, under- I do love that meme where she's yelling at someone over juice. I was, I yeah, was yeah, thinking yeah. of that. Like, I was yeah. like, immediately when you said Jimmy Lee Curtis, I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I can't imagine not wanting to get on her bad side just because of the meme photos of her drinking a glass of water and then continuing to point and yell at somebody else. Right. But, no, I mean, honestly, on a true hero of mine, but, like, in honor of, of like, the, the OG Scream Queen and the time of year and the Halloween special and the new Halloween movie, uh, I, you know, hat tip to Jamie Lee. I'm a little scared of her because I want to be. So <laughs> A timely and solid choice. Thank you. I'm going to go back to black and white classic uh, horror actors. And my choice is Christopher Lee. Love Christopher Lee. I adore Christopher Lee. And I really, I had some, I mean, I was obsessed with Lord of the Rings. So my gateway to Christopher mm-hmm. Lee was Lord of the Rings. He played Saruman, mm-hmm. the, uh, the evil white wizard. What immediately strikes you about him is his voice. It's so deep and enveloping. It just completely takes you over. And it's like, how can anyone's voice be that deep? Even more so, he is capable of delivering not only a sinister performance, but there's so much deep, intelligence happening behind those eyes that like Mm -hmm. he's extra frightening because you know that he's always playing a character who's thought of every other possible outcome. Right. There's a reason he's pretty much exclusively cast as a villain in film because he plays a really great villain from Count Dooku to Dracula, obviously his most famous role to the man with the golden gun. He's just a really one of cinema's best bad guys. And but I always was so happy to see him because he was just like the most reliable bad guy. I always you always felt like when he was the villain, you were in good hands. There was going to be some bad stuff happening that really satisfied you. And he was going to deliver on being a really great villain that sometimes, you you know, we've all seen those films where like the villain just seems kind of thin and not substantial enough to be a real threat. And Christopher Lee, just like his presence is so solid and, and dark that you have to take him seriously. Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've discussed Christopher Lee multiple times on Dead for Filth because to me, he is the ultimate Dracula. I mean, there have been many film iterations of Dracula, but he's the best because I, uh, what I've always loved about him is he's sort of the embodiment of the gentleman villain. Right. Exactly what you're saying. There's sort of, there's a, a countenance. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something kind of sexy about Christopher Lee. I've always thought so. Because maybe... Uh, he's, he's refined in his wickedness. Yeah. He's, he's going to kill you, but in a really polite way. Yeah. And that's just a wonderful twist. Like he's going to maintain every single social grace as he proceeds to be evil. Exactly. It's amazing. I like that both of our choices for celebrities that scare us were kind of like odd hero worship. We're like, we like them because they do spooky well. (laughs) (laughs) And then Jillian's just like, 
I fear kindness. <laughs> no, Tom Cruise is a body snatcher. He's imitating kindness. A shadow's going to be following Jillian the whole way home. It's going to be Tom Cruise flying above her car. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get smiling. like smiling. Thank you cards from Jamie Lee Curtis and the Christopher Lee estate. And then Jillian's just not going to be here. No, Scientology is going to be in my butt, I'm sure. It's time, unfortunately, to wrap up our. Hoopla. All Hallows. <laughs> Let me get to it. All Hallows Hoopla. Michael came up with that. We're very grateful to him. Oh, um, we brainstormed all evening <laughs> what to call this thing. Oh, it's just fun to say. It's I like saying hoopla. <laughs> Who doesn't like saying hoopla? But unfortunately, we are running out of time. The witching hour is coming to a close. Uh, but before we, we finish, we do want to review our scent. And this is a very special episode because it's the first scent review we've ever done that's not a candle. Oh. Yeah. So, Michael, can you introduce us to the scent we are about to enjoy? Yes. The scent that we are about to check out is actually a branded scent that was made for my show, Dead for Filth, that we debuted at San Diego Comic-Con this year. And uh, it was made in partnership with Black Phoenix Alchemy Labs. And Black Phoenix has done uh, a number of scents that are original to their company as well as tie-in fragrances with different creators and artists they have like a very niche uh spot in the Mm -hmm. world of uh spooky and horror where like people who like essential oils and fragrances uh go to them and get stuff that kind of like speaks to their interests and along the way they've partnered people with people like neil gaiman they did like a line of Coraline scents uh guillermo del toro did a line of crimson peak scents with them uh, Mike Mignola, who created Hellboy, did a Hellboy line. And now Michael Verratti. Yeah. And so when they approached me and said, we want to do a scent uh, based on Dead for Filth, I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, because I do not think of myself as anywhere near those guys. So it was just a real honor to uh, get to do this. And, um, I went out to their their lab. It is a, it is a, like a real like situation where they've got like vats of different oils and scents and things. And uh, they we sat and talked, and they're like, "Well, what what do you like?" And I I said, "Well, I want it to be more like musky and earthy because I get headaches and sweet smells like do that to me." Uh, and then I was like, "Also, my show is called Dead for Filth, so it shouldn't smell like like a summer glade. You know, it should mm-hmm. be something a little." So they're like, "Cool, cool. Uh, like, we'll come up with some stuff." And then I like went off, and a couple weeks later, I came back, and they had different samples, and they were like, "How about this?" And they were like, "A little too bloody," or like, you know, about this, a little too <laughs> earthy. And then we found the one, and uh, they created it, and I'm so grateful. And we uh, debuted it at Comic Con, and they made it available online, and uh, people from around the world have been buying it. Like, just like some guy is wearing it as cologne in New Zealand right now which is kind of crazy and uh i remember when we announced it you saw and you said uh, i want to do a scent review of that and i even have the notes here that black phoenix provided because i don't want to get it wrong uh but the dead for phil scent from black phoenix alchemy lab which you can get on their site it includes raw patchouli opopanix and a coppery dry blood exhale that oh. last note is... Yeah, that's a little terrifying. You know what's funny is when Beautiful. I talked talk to them about it, because they were like, do you want it to like have a blood scent, and do you want it to be wet or dry blood? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Something really. you don't think about. Yeah, I did not. But there's a difference. There is a difference. I love my patchouli. So, uh, yeah. Right, so, let's dive in. So how, how, how should we experience this? Well, I should have brought a tester, because the tester has a little wand. But this, uh, I actually just brought a fresh bottle, so I'm popping it open for you both. <laughs> uh, and you can just smell it. Uh, it smells a little different on the skin than it does in the bottle, but you can still get, like, a general sense. So I'll pass it to Jillian. I'm so excited. We're doing poppers on All Things Cozy. 
Oh yeah, it does. It does kind of have a, <laughs> the, the bottle looks a little uh, VHS cleaner. <laughs> like it, like the patchouli. I love this scent. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really nice. I I oh, I want to pop this in a diffuser. I think that's possible. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's a it's an essential oil, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't like the flowery sweet scent. Oh no, I mean, I, I think we're 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 pretty. It's pretty well established that. Yeah, we're keep, not keep the sweet scents away, away so from us. So this is right up our alley. We like I, that patchouli is perfectly balanced. Yeah, the patchouli is right on. Yeah, and I, was just, our I think I'm actually I'm wearing it now, but I might it might have worn off because uh, I put it on knowing that we mm-hmm. were going to talk about it. But uh, no, it's so cool. Like I, you know, I never in a hundred years would have thought that I would be a person with like a tie-in fragrance. But when they came up with the concept and. Uh, told me what they were going to do with it. I was like, "Oh yeah, that is. It's kind of like it's very my brand." So you you get the the um, the patchouli note, but it almost smells like a beautiful like eucalyptusy like like almost like night eucalyptus. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense, but I feel it. <laughs> I, I'm cur- what is opopanax? I feel like an idiot. I don't know what that I is. I don't know. I don't actually know either. That's definitely, I'm going to be honest, and like uh, maybe someone from Black Phoenix can chime in on the comments on this one. Uh, But I think it's it's a uh, it's something more earth based because I didn't want anything overly sweet. Well, it doesn't have any hints of sweetness, so mission accomplished. Which is funny because the scent, the test sense that because this was the third version that we finally all agreed Mm -hmm. on. The test sense that. had wet blood smell had a lot more sugary scent to it. Oh, that's interesting. Which I thought was really interesting. Well, I guess dry blood is more the coppery scent. Yeah. So a papanax is a resin, a gum resin. It's a tree. Mm-hmm. And it's a honey-like aroma. So that, that definitely, I think, is what is softening the patchouli. It's, it's really a nice scent. I can see why someone will actually wear this cologne. Like, it's it's a nice yeah, masculine scent. Yeah, I just a little, like, dot yeah. or two on my wrists. And it, like, will last because essential oil doesn't wash off real easy. And, you know, if you are interested in different kinds of scents, uh, you know, of course I'm going to, like, going to suggest looking at mine first. But Black Phoenix curates a mm-hmm. ton of different fragrances and essential oils. Uh, and uh, when I discovered them, most of the things that I wear as cologne come from them now. Uh, not just mine, but others. There's a scent that they do called Frankengroom that I think they created originally for uh, RuPaul's Drag Con that has, like, a real kind of, like, leathery smell, mm-hmm. but, like, that old kind of, like, comforting leather yeah. uh, that I really like. Um, they have one called the Seafoam's Blood that is just a kind of little sandalwood-based. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope, I, or at least I hope it's sandalwood-based. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they're really cool. It's a cool company, and it's sort of an interesting way to engage with story elements or people or creators that uh, you like in a different way. So I, I, I think that's fun. I love unconventional sense, like approaching things at, like especially like the creators you mentioned, like Guillermo del Toro and Neil Gaiman and bringing, I think he did, a, didn't he do a scent line, Neil Gaiman, around American Gods? Yeah. And bringing sense to the characters. And I just think that's so cool. Like this is what this character would smell like and the creator saying like, yeah, I think this is what they would smell like. I don't know. That's that's a really cool. Yeah, Black Phoenix did yeah. the American Gods line, and I yeah. remember when I was in their office, we talked about it, and they said that one of the dr- the draws for people was the idea that like if you liked media mm-hmm. or this character or whomever, and that's like something that you were trying to embody, you could wear the scent of what Neil Gaiman would think the character smells like. It would take so. cosplaying mm-hmm. to a next level. It's yeah. not yeah. just like I look like them, but I smell like them. That's right. neat. Yeah, it's a really cool level of interactivity. Well, I guess one sniff instead of a wick. 
<laughs> I think this is three sniffs up. So. Yeah, because we each give a sniff. Yeah. Well, I can't. I can't rate my own product, but I'm glad that you like it. We're all smelling the microphones. Thank you, Michael. I I, I really did harass Michael to get a, to get a, a try at that because I was like, oh my god. I mean, this is. A, I mean, a, a really cool opportunity and. I think it's awesome, and, and your podcast deserves it. You deserve it. Oh, thank you so much. Um, so thank you for sharing it with us. Well, I was happy to yeah. bring it. I, like you said, it's uh, it's so foreign to me to just be like the, the promo guy, but I was happy. Yeah, thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah, we love it. Check out that scent at Black Phoenix Lab online. Mm-hmm. And Michael, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Michael Verratti. That's V as in Victor, A-R-R-A-T-I. And if you want to catch up with Dead for Filth, it's at Dead for Filth. We are also available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere podcasts are to be found. Uh, also, for those of you who want to lean into the more historical tidbits of uh, the world of horror, I am newly hosting a series as an on-camera host called History of Fright that drops every Wednesday uh, via Skybound, which is the company that created The Walking Dead and uh, I've done four episodes of that so far, so you can actually learn a little bit about Mary Shelley's real life with interact, uh, real life interactions with Lord Byron, uh, as well as uh, how George Romero helped uh, create the zombie genre as we know today. I did an episode on witches, one on lesbian vampires, uh, and so there's a lot, lots of spookiness, and uh, I'd be grateful if you checked it out. Thank you. Also, our fall giveaway is wrapping up, but there's still time to enter mm-hmm. to win our three-film Hallmark collection of Fall Harvest movies that I actually reviewed last year, the, the ones that are in the collection, um, if you want my thoughts on all of them after you watch. It's a cool collection. Honestly, yeah. if like, I, my being a guest didn't make me void, I would, I would enter this contest. Yeah, it's, it's a really hot cool. ticket item. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we, we've already had many entries, but there's still time to throw your hat in the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, you can enter by sharing your favorite episode of All Things Cozy on any social media platform. Just make sure you tag us so we see it, and we'll put your name in the drawing. And the winner will be announced on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> stay tuned. Um, yeah, stay tuned on the winner of that. And of course, you can find us on Instagram at All Things Cozy Podcast. We're on Facebook. We have a Facebook group. Come and join us and chat in the Facebook group. It's just we're having it's a, a good old time sharing cozy tips. Um, that's a really listener-driven community forum, yeah. and it's an awesome place. So, you know, connect with people who also like cozy stuff. Okay. Yeah. So, again, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. This was such a pleasure. We can't do a Halloween episode without you, so thank you for, for joining us again. Well, thank you for having me, and hopefully I get to see you next time. Of, of course. course. Yeah. Thank you. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. <laughs>